There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pochettino. Welcome back to the front three, a front three this week. It's actually from four, if that's the thing. Yeah. It's me, Adam Bowl, of course. I've also got Lawrence McKenna here as well. The Timo Werner of the group. Mm, yeah, modest as well. Uh, yeah. Nico Morales is here. How you doing? And Chris Hennage himself. Hello, man. The Colonel. The Colonel, some, <laughs> some call it. Yeah. Uh, we are here, ladies and gentlemen, for a deep dive. This week, we'll be discussing in depth the potential takeover of Newcastle United by a group backed by Saudi Arabia, which, of course, has caused huge controversy. I can't think why, but we'll get into it shortly. Firstly, I just want to see how everyone is. I mean, firstly, Chris, the audience can't see this, but you've, you've given yourself the old quarantine haircut. Yeah, aggressive. Two all over, I think it is. Aggressive two all over. It suits you. It looks good. We were just saying before we started, you know, hairline's looking strong. There's a sort of a, a thickness to it that's reminiscent of an action man, you might say, uh, if you wanted <laughs> to get specific. But it looks good. I'm, 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 I'm impressed. There's, there's always that worry when your hair's grown a bit long. What is this masking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to do it just to, just to reveal the truth, almost. But, yeah. yeah. How's, uh, how's New York treating you, Chris? What's, what's the news? Yeah, re- really good. Um, all things considered, um, I th- really good. I think um, I, th- I just think this is the problem with this situation that we're all in the minute is that we don't have a defined end date, which makes it a lot easier, or a lot, yeah, a lot easier for people to be concerned, panic, and make decisions that maybe aren't the most uh, beneficial for the future. No need to be passive aggressive to Donald Trump. Just say his name. <laughs> yeah, he's talking about Trump here, Cummings. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What about uh, what about Florida, Nico? How are you getting on? It's all right. You know, it's been uh, it's been actually really beautiful. Um, you know, out here, uh, I haven't you know partaken in some of the uh, some of the vigorous outings that people happen to. You right. know, you're not, not in pool parties. I'm I'm not a I'm not at the lakes. I'm not at the the, the parks in in droves. But you know, it has been beautiful. So I've been trying to take as many walks as possible. It's been nice. And we're we're still stuck inside, sort of, in London, Lawrence. Although some people may or may not be obeying the rules. It's all a bit sort of a bit vague at the moment, isn't it? I've just gotten back from my fifth eye test of the week. It was quite the incredible. Uh, and you can't drive. I know you trip. can't drive. Yeah, I know, and that's the thing. But I can still test my eyes in a car vault with. You're the idiot here. Um, incredible. Yeah, I drove to Edinburgh and back uh, on one tank of fuel. Incredibly. Um, 
yeah, I get, I get the feeling that Dominic Cummings is actually just sort of going for the new Top Gear rather than anything else. He's sort of doing challenges oh. in a May Hammond style. He's uh, auditioning and, and stuff. Yeah, and obviously being a toxic right-wing male, he's perfect for it. So <laughs> I don't want to politicize this too much, but I think I've already gone there, Bob. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, bring it, I'll bring it swiftly back to the football then because uh, sure. in, in Project Restart News, before we get into Newcastle... Yeah. Um, the big news this week, Lawrence, is despite the remaining <laughs> Premier so League games being planned to take place behind closed doors, there may well be fans in the West Ham Stadium, at least, with the club in talks with Zoom to have the fans yeah. present via the video calling app. I'm not quite sure how this works. Is there going to be like screen, like huge screen sets up or like I mean, individual I, I, screens, laptops open on every single seat in the stadium? A, a few teams have come up with different... Um, ways to sort of solve or I guess solve in inverted commas the problem of fans not being in the stadium what uh, some guys are piping noise in not many people are fans of that it seems um piping racist chants in yeah I mean that's genius and it's in it in the first sense um some people have done the cardboard cutout thing which I actually quite I personally think is quite good mm. waste of cardboard uh but would you, there's a point where you can be too green. At some point, you have to make cardboard for something. Sorry, Sorry. You know yeah, I mean? you're, right, you're, right, you're right. It's just sitting there yeah. waiting to be used. Why not? So, <laughs> That's part of it. I think in Boltwood's mind, it just goes straight from the cardboard factory into the recycler. <laughs> it just, there's nothing in between. Um, How <laughs> harrowing would that be, though, watching stewards carry out dozens of fans to put them in a waste bin? <laughs> put them in a wood chipper, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we, we joke, but that, that possibly could have been happening if, uh, if our government hadn't have acted even sooner um and then of course now the the club who clearly care most about the fans west ham are looking to get the fans even closer so now the harrowing experience of nikki from west ham fan channel is huge face up on a massive screen nothing more inspirational for the for a, a player who barely knows anyone from east london to see a random stranger just shouting yeah. into into what is probably a really poor connection sort of Come on, the lads, or you like know, a low budget episode of Power Rangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's quite dystopian, it's, isn't it? It's something yeah, it is. Up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm forever blowing bubbles. It's like, are you singing this alone? Are we? You know, is there reverb? What's going on? I think um, that's the most important news. Our project recently. I mean, apart from the fact that the government has approved progress to the next stage, which is, you know, we, we knew that was coming, but sure. um, the Premier League are voting today on whether to resume contact training that's the next stage but the fixtures could be released as soon as the end of this week chris um it's starting to become a reality uh you, you getting excited about the the potential return of the premier league I, I don't know if i could commit to that just yet i think <laughs> what emotion can you commit to trepidation i think i i just okay there's just too many unknowns i think um and i i appreciate that they have to satisfy the rights holders and all these kind of financial contracts that will massively impact the league if it doesn't go ahead I also think that really there will be no winners from this because whoever does and I think we can all agree the top end is pretty much sorted at this point but whoever goes down will forever bemoan something about the way that this panned out whether it was the fact that it stopped and it killed their momentum or you know we had players that dropped out because they didn't want to play like it's just I just think it's going to be so hard to keep the spirit of the game alive with this. That's that's where I'm at at the minute. But yeah, it has it has to come back, and I see why people think it will be beneficial for morale and everything. The morale of the nation. 
hangs in the balance, Chris, especially after this weekend. But, but what I'm a bit disappointed because I've, I've obviously seen the NBA's plans to mm. restart at Disneyland or Disney World. <gasps> now, that's uh, four parks, two water parks, and <laughs> one entire weekend of fun. But I think, wow. like, why isn't uh, Disney paid for that? Why isn't the Premier League going somewhere? You know, why isn't the Premier League restarting at Alton Towers? Why isn't Thorpe <laughs> Park being the place where West Ham, you know, go on their tumultuous journey? How, That's what I sort how, of think is a bit disappointing here. Are there league standard basketball courts just sitting in Disneyland? How, how does that work? Well, it's so there's a there's a it's actually where I live. It's in Orlando. It's called the Disney Wild uh, Wide World Wide World of Sports, and it's just a massive sports complex that usually houses like. Um, you know, uh, high school or collegiate level, um, like sports wow. tournaments. I pl- I've played there a few times. Like most people who have ever had like a hand in any kind of decent, you know, sporting career uh, in and high you. school or college. Yeah, and me. Uh, I'm not included <laughs> in the former. Um, have have played there just because it's a it's like a multi million dollar facility and it's really nice. And that's what they're that's where they're resetting the MLS. Actually, Chris, I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, wow. is that they're having like this. Um, no fans, obviously, but they're having a, a, a ton of games in, in uh, here in Orlando um, oh, wow. using the Disney wide, wide World of Sports. And I think they're going to obviously they're going to do the same thing with the NBA um, because it's, it's an unused complex in Disney. Uh, I think Disney Wait. actually gets part of the broadcasting, if I'm not mistaken. Simultaneously. I don't I don't know if it's simultaneous, <laughs> but obviously the facilities are different. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of people in 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 one area so that's you know really good for the spread of the coronavirus i i agree i mean i've I've got to admit boltwood being uh you know sort of an adopted bertonian i was very disappointed that we didn't get the games reverted to st george's park because (laughs) you know there's a hilton hotel there the players could stay in uh you know that the the dizzying heights of swaddling coat derby um you know even brisling coat valley a really, there are some really sort of high-end B&Bs in the Burton area, and you I just a think, point. yeah. Where, like, where, we, where do you put the Zoom fans? Though that's the main question. I'm sure that was the, the deal breaker. We still have iPads you know? in Burton. We've got, you know, we've got Wi-Fi. <laughs> just loads of iPads around the beach. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, and the and the camera oh, equipment, the television, uh, sort of broadcasting. Again, but we're in the 21st century. This isn't Dundee. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, listen. Get yourself a job at the Premier League and pitch them on Burton. That's that's how it <laughs> yeah, works. Sorry, that's why Dave can't be here. Too. Sorry, yeah, he's, yeah. he's there pitching Burton. Yeah, but um, listen, as I say, plenty more to come from Project Restart. Uh, we're going to be talking about that next week. Let's move on to Newcastle United. So, Newcastle United, as we all know, are the subject of a potential three hundred million pound takeover as we speak. The group behind the bid has the financial backing of Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund and is led by financier Amanda Staveley, who previously helped broker the deal which saw Sheikh Mansour purchase Manchester City in 2008. If Newcastle is sold to Staveley's group, she would hold a 10% stake in the club, with British property investors the Rubin Brothers also holding 10%, with the remaining 80% to go to Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, or the PIF as it's known, which is headed by Saudi Arabia's de facto leader, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Who's our de facto leader? Um, I believe now it's Dominic Cummings. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it is the PIF that makes this deal so controversial. 
Amnesty International have been outspoken about Saudi Arabia's human rights record, accusing the royal family of condoning the torture of political opponents in a sustained crackdown on dissent in the past couple of years. The Saudi regime has also been accused of murdering journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. Saudi authorities deny this, blaming a rogue operation, but the CIA and United States Senate concluded that bin Salman himself ordered Khashoggi's assassination. As things stand, we are all currently waiting to find out if the takeover bid passes the Premier League fit and proper persons test, which measures whether owners meet standards greater than those required by law in order to protect football's reputation and image. Right. Anything I missed there, Chris? I think I got it all. Very well read. Yeah, that was one I prepared earlier. There's a lot to discuss, as I say, lots to dig into there. Very complicated topic, very complicated issues that come with it. First of all, Chris, obviously, it was October 2017 when Mike Ashley put Newcastle United up for sale. Three years later, it looks like he may finally succeed. I mean, you must be very sad to see the back of such a, a beloved figure in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's done so much for the region. Um, he's raised blood pressures across it. Um, <laughs> Really think, pretty high by the time he got there, I think. Yeah, um, I think I think that's what makes this so difficult. Is that on the one hand there is a sense of potential relief and pleasure in the fact that he will be leaving. But speaking just personally, because I, I don't really like to project the idea that you can condense and boil down an entire fan base's opinion on these things. For me personally. The, the trouble with this or the thing that makes it so difficult to get on board with is who is replacing him and and the links that you talked about there in, in the intro because they are really harrowing, scary and they bode for, I wouldn't so much say a dangerous future as a complicated future in which I think Middle Eastern politics will be played out in the Premier League on on pretty much every week as, as they go and try and do battle with, with Man City's owners because that's really what a lot of this stuff comes down to is that it's it's geopolitics played out in the Premier League. Which is why it's so worrying. I mean, it's, it's so complicated, as I said, but I mean, purely from a, from a Newcastle fan's point of view, it must be difficult to finally see the back of Mike Ashley and then for new, exciting, rich owners to come in only to have their own much more serious baggage. Yeah, I guess, um, you're, yeah, like you say, you're swapping one set of feelings for another, but it's one set of feelings, uh, which, I mean, for once, Kristen, I guess I kind of disagree with you because when we say that we can't take, uh, you know, blanket anyone's opinion, it does seem as if there is a blanket opinion of Mike Ashley. <laughs> Probably like one of the few uniting opinions in football is that Mike Ashley is universally disliked. Um, but I mean, apart from that, you're right, you can't boil people down to one. Um, opinion. And then the other side is, I guess, it's all well and good overlooking someone's foibles when they're they're doing good. You know, um, Nico and I would know all about that. Um, but then the other side is obviously that you're doing something bad and then not doing something good for you, then is sort of the, the opportune time to complain. So it's really, it, it is a bit like that sort of, you know, speak up before they come for you sort of thing. Um, It's really whether we sort of accept that football is going in this direction and this is just more um, evidence of that or whether we sort of say, do we want to steer football away from this? Because the immediate thing that I think is, well, hold on a minute. If these people can shake the queen's hand, invest in Disney and invest in a number of other businesses, (laughs) 
then why, why, how terrible would it look for the Premier League to go, yeah, we're not 100% sure on this one for the other people who have received and welcomed investment uh, from, from the same group? What do you think has been the general reaction to this potential takeover in the Northeast, Chris? Because, I mean, putting aside the, the sizable moral implications for a second, there's been a lot of talk about Mauricio Pochettino, for example, being the potential new owner's number one managerial target. I mean, Harry Kane just yesterday was linked with a, an incredibly hypothetical move to the club. Is it fair to say the general mood is one of excitement, albeit one tinged with caution because because of the baggage that comes with all of this? Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting. I think a lot of people have decided to compartmentalise those aspects of it and look at it through the lens of just football and what will happen to the football team in terms of the manager, the players, those kind of things. And then also yet a sort of quiet acknowledgement that there is a, a much more undesirable aspect of this. Um, and, and I think to that, and that's where if I could object to anything, I think there's a lot being laid at supporters' doors here. Yes, they they should be, I think, rightly pointed to for not maybe objecting stronger. But I think it's also a little bit rich to read some columnists put it all at their door when for the same 13-year period, they talked about how they couldn't do anything to move Mike Ashley, how it wasn't really their, you know, their role to play. And, and I equally think that, you know what, at least in the modern era, let's say, I think football fans have become less and less influential at clubs and more like customers, more like people that choose to give their money. But the the emotional relationship hasn't really changed. It's still the same idea of this is my community hub. This is what sort of is the lifeblood of my town or my city. And yet, I just think it's it's a little bit unfair to make out as if you know, Newcastle fans are the ones that have pushed this through because I don't, I don't think they have in the same way. I don't think any fans, bar yeah. supporter-driven ones, are are the ones pushing through these takeovers. I think actually, what you have to look at just as much is first and foremost the Premier League fit and proper persons test, which is again clearly not not fit. If you'll pardon the the pun for for use. Um, I think you also have to look at Mike Ashley, who, again, whether you think he's a shrewd businessman or an atrocious human being, he was still the one that courted and accepted this deal and essentially provided the pathway for this all to happen. And yet I don't really see him getting any criticism. It's almost just put down as, well, that's typical Mike, which I Mm. I don't buy. Um, And then, you know, in a much grander context, on a local level, You've got a group coming in who say they will not only invest in the football team, but will invest in the local area, which the government in the UK haven't done for oh, a decade, easy, probably a decade. So there's people willing to come in and do that, which is going to easily, I think, capture the attention of people who think, well, you know what, this person's offering us something. Why would I not want to support that? All while being incredibly welcoming of the Saudi Arabian regime on the doorstep of 10 Downing Street. All, and it to me, and I'll, I'll be writing something to this effect this week, it feels a little bit rich to ignore all of the outside forces and the people with much greater influence in this situation and just throw it at supporters and say, hey, this is on you to try and fix. Because even if they protested, I don't think it would change anything. I don't think the Premier League would suddenly 
turn around and say, well, no, we're not going to do this because by that rationale, they would have ejected Mike Ashley a long time ago. It's only when there's no benefit, really, isn't it? That they go, well, this yeah. is probably on the supporters. It's like there's no blowback from this. We can't benefit. You know, supporters have put, either pushed this through or stopped this. And, you know, they want to put the responsibility on anyone but them, I guess. That's why the whole thing just feels a little bit muddy to me because on the other side, I've got Richard Keyes making these outrageous allegations that, you know, that maybe the Premier League have have been blackmailed by the government saying that, you know, if you put this through, we'll let you play again. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to be on his side of the fence. I don't want to be on the happy clapping side of it. Like, I have no idea where to sit in this entire thing as much to say as I'm probably with Amnesty International <laughs> in the sense that it's a safe, don't it's want a safe side of the through. fence to be on. Yeah. It feels safer, doesn't it? Although there's also, I guess there's some, the weird thing is if you are ever on the Amnesty side, a lot of people call you naive or sort of say, you know, this is the way the world is. You know, everyone does evil things or everyone does bad things. I think they... Um, as if they're somehow equal. I do think that Amnesty International put across their case well. I read Kate Allen, who's the the UK director. She said that they weren't trying to say who should end up running Newcastle United, but they were calling on the Premier League to, to seriously look at the human rights situation in Saudi Arabia. And also, you know, whether this deal goes ahead or not, she hopes that Newcastle and football fans will also look into the situation for themselves, which is which is not an unfair ask. But once you do, Nico, I mean, uh, as Chris said, for Newcastle fans, it is, it is the only way to process it and deal with it and still be able to support your club to compartmentalise it and say, OK, well, I need to divorce the on-the-pitch and off-the-pitch happenings to divorce their support and their attachment, perhaps from the, the people in power in the game. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the conundrum that, you know, Manchester City fans have had to to be in for the last couple of years, you know, since, since the tape takeover, which has been a long time now. And that, and that's the difficulty with modern football is that, you know, for as much as we can talk about the, there's always a sense of realism with these things. And, and I call it realism because I don't really have a better word for it, but there's this overarching sense of you're a participant part of a system that you already know is wrong, right? We have, we, we constantly go through our day to day and we consume products that we know were probably made through, you know, unethical or at the very least questionable means. And so as soon as someone starts to say there's something new, like the Newcastle takeover, for example, and, you, and you know, someone might point out a criticism and say, you know, hold on, there's some shady shady things going on here. Is this something that we want to inculcate ourselves in? Is it, is this something that we really want to be a part of just as easily? Someone tends to say, well, you participate in this, you know, maybe you buy from Amazon, you know, you support Manchester city. There's all these factors of it that, you know, someone can say are uh, hypocritical of someone else to criticize um, something that simply, you know, continues to perpetuate the system, but that isn't sort of a valid argument to, counteract the fact that there are things that need to be considered when looking at these new kinds of owners. And that that's the difficulty of it, is that all of this exists within the realm of the unsaid. There are so many things that, like I said, go through our day to day that we don't really acknowledge. And so when we want to peel back a layer of that, it becomes a little murky, like you said, because there's elements of this at a social sort of social interaction level that we don't acknowledge. And you know, Mike Ashley had had a ton of issues, a ton of ethical and moral issues that someone could have raised. Um, and I so did kind you... of enjoy that, that that Mike Ashley is the focus of that. I mean, maybe it's because he's English in a sense, but 
if you look at some of the other ethical issues that other owners raise, it's not as if Mike Ashley is, has this exclusively. I mean, you know, if, if you look, well, look at the Chelsea takeover, uh, you know, a few years ago, we were basically welcoming an oligarch into the country. And we know that if you are high enough up in a certain country, then, you know, the, the likelihood is that something bad will have happened in your life or you'll have done something bad. You don't get to those kind of positions, uh, at least there, without having uh, consorted with some of these kinds of people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no one's lives a, a absolutely morally unquestionable life i think the especially you don't um but, <laughs> especially me yeah the, murder will stay well, with you guys yeah i i don't hang out with you don't talk about yeah exactly yeah, um, yeah. not around the but colonel i think uh <laughs> the thing i find incredibly frustrating about these sorts of discussions especially on twitter and other places is it tends to descend into what about us so if you have an issue of something that's morally questionable, as a line of argument back, people might say, well, if you take an issue of that, why don't you take an issue of this? What about this? And you never really get anywhere. But with something like this proposed takeover, it feels so clearly morally questionable because of the well-documented human rights record in Saudi Arabia. Right. Does this need to be a line in the sand where we do tackle it and we do actually confront it? Well, there, it's it's extremely complex to, to do that because I think in one sense you're right. Like at one point do you say, this is it. There's no more. We have to draw the line somewhere. But then someone can it, – maybe it's a part of the whataboutism. Then someone can easily say, well, that's kind of racial because you didn't draw these issues with a white owner. Or you didn't draw these issues with Abramovich or you didn't do this, yeah. that, or the other. And that's entirely valid. But the problem is, is that it, can, it goes either way in the sense that the problem – which is the what about ism like the 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 stasis of a moral issue in the you know postmodern context is also the solution because you can say well what about and not address it and use that as a sort of straw man to say well there are a million other things wrong in modern society so why the fuck should we fix this one <laughs> or you can say listen i know that shit is fucked up but we might as well start somewhere. Let's focus on this one fucked yeah. up thing first. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go yeah. and start at this point and try to try from there to go backwards and kind of relitigate things. That unpacks a lot of thoughts for me, though. But I mean, first of all, I, I think Nico's right in bringing up the kind of race side of it. There does only really seem to be uh, media. Oh, oh, there's se actually there doesn't only seem to be media outrage when this sort of thing happens with anyone who's not white or maybe American. But there does seem to be more media focus, shall I say, on that aspect when the, the person doesn't necessarily have uh, white skin. Um, and then I guess the other side is, which we haven't really asked Chris about, but is a legitimate question, I guess. And also is, is for all of us. And you've said you feel disenfranchised yourself from your own club. It, it, why are we going into their uh, morals? Is that really a distraction from the fact that we've already compromised ourselves with the Premier League morally around football. And while we're busy going, well, these guys kill each other or, you know, kill journalists or whatever, it's like, well, hold on a minute. You know, we're, we're selling a club here. We're selling something which is almost, you know, the same as, you know, if you're going around the, the Monopoly board, this is Gasworks or Waterworks or whatever you want to call it. These are institutions that belong in people's hearts, I don't love Eon Energy in the way that I love Liverpool. Do you know what I mean? Can't beat a pint of Gazprom, though, to be fair. 
Yeah, I do. I love. Gazprom I do man. love a nice cool glass of Gazprom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's come back onto that. I just want to pull out a little bit and ask you, Chris, just to understand the motives behind this deal and the people who are involved. What kind of opportunity does Newcastle represent as a football club to a potential new owner? Because they're often spoken about as a, as a sleeping giant of the Premier League. Yeah, I think to that end, it's so easy to get caught in the hype of things and drowned in self indulgence of you know, this is an amazing opportunity and, and this kind of thing. I think the motives of the Rubin brothers are hard to work out because it hasn't been that obvious. They do own large portions of Newcastle's real estate. So perhaps they want a greater footprint there um, or they see, you know, more potential to work off the back of it. Um, Amanda Stavely, I think, is is after a prominent role and perhaps with her 10% has made a shift from wanting to be a, a bridge between parties to actually being involved at a, at a football club. Um, the actual purchase of the team, it's going to need root and branch reform if you want to take it to where is being suggested up to the top because the training ground is it, it's in disarray. Um, it's, it needs sizable, sizable upgrades. Um, it's, it's a very basic structure by Premier League standards, you could even argue by Championship standards, it, it's not near the top of that league. Um, the stadium will need a lot of cosmetic upgrades. The potential expansion of the stadium, if you want to look that far down the line, is difficult to predict because there's listed buildings. For anyone that hasn't seen St. James's Park, it's, it's a bit of an odd construction in so much as you have a bit of a lopsided build. Um, and to carry that around there are listed buildings that would, I believe, get in the way. And also the fact that Strawberry Place, which is, is I think, the land that would potentially allow for some expansion, has been sold by Mike Ashley to a property developer who is going to look to move and, and install something there in the near future. So, yeah, this is, this is not a project where someone will be able to put a fresh coat of paint on and suddenly it's starting to look like a big club. It's, it's going to take a lot of work. And you would argue a lot of money as well. So I, I'm very curious as to what has really enticed them. Maybe a little bit of, of shadow or faint recognition from the 90s of them being somewhat popular. Well, I think there, not- there is, a, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, like there is a, there is a brand and there is also the, like, there is the shell, there is the outer husk of a former giant in the, and you know, that's a cliche that we often hear, but like the sleeping giant esque of, you know, ism of, of Newcastle, like they do have a stadium that is, you know, I hear Brian talking about it all the time. Um, you know, it is a premier league quality stadium. It's a massive, um, you know, club that once existed, you know, as such. And so like, you know, you look at clubs in in the modern era, like Ibar is the one that comes to mind, or even Bournemouth or something like that, that have had success, they've gone up to the to the top division. And they are, they've said, people at the club have said, like, we are not a top division club, eventually, this dream or whatever's going on here will end because we don't have the capacity or the means or the whatever to sustain this level, whether it be a fan level or monetary level or whatever to be here. There's a natural sort of, you know, it's almost like a a potential energy to a, to a club that exists and Newcastle, even though they've remained in the top flight for a lot of that time, um, hasn't necessarily fulfilled that because I think you would more readily associate them at the, at least in the top half of the, of the, of the 
you know, Premier League, if, if not more. So I think in that sense, like that is the husk that they're that they're looking to sort of revitalize in a sense. And, and actually, as I even think about that, I think if we'd been podding around the time Man City were bought, we'd have probably said, why are they doing this? Like they, there's a giant rival on the doorstep that probably owns, you know, a, a good portion of that city in terms of the eyes on it. But actually, as I sit and think about it, if you were to buy a Liverpool, a Man United, even now a Man City, the, the space for you to build a legacy and an influence is actually quite small. So with City, it's probably winning the Champions League. That pushes you into a stratosphere of relevance. But if you just win the Premier League, it's not their first Premier League. Or that. Newcastle haven't won anything in the modern era. So if you, were the, if you are the ownership, let's say, that gets them an FA Cup, a League Cup, being very ambitious here, a Premier League, even a Europa League, you are so much more rooted in that legacy. You are so much more influential in it. And it gains you so much more traction than if you took a pre-established club and then build something. Because it's not necessarily you influencing the legacy. It's you just building on top of it. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly a huge project, as you say, uh, a lot of investment needed. But this public investment fund have the money. I mean, they've invested $2 billion recently in the likes of the Walt Disney Company, as Lawrence mentioned, you know, Starbucks, Booking.com as well. And with that in mind, it is interesting to, to think about this aspect of sport washing, Nico. This seems to be a pretty clear attempt to do just that. It's a term that it's only been around for the past few years, but it's, of course, become increasingly relevant in relation to, to modern sport. Yeah, I mean, it's not in the sense I, I know you mentioned there that sport washing as a, as a direct verbalized concept has only existed for a little while, but it's not necessarily a new thing in the sense that that term is just um, a specific one, because there are plenty of companies, there are plenty of investment groups, there are plenty of, you know, sort of shady dealers that have involved themselves in businesses that just allow them to receive a level of both social and actual impunity um, with, uh, you know, with social groups or with governments or with groups of people. And that's kind of what we're looking at here is that you have a group that has to, to, to call it how it is morally and ethical, um, moral, moral and ethical issues in, in, in their existence, as, as many people do. And so what they're looking to do is put their money in uh, investments and, and, and uh, businesses that people just generally like and associate and patronize. Um, so like you said, Disney, Starbucks, other things that people associate with, uh, you know, modern Western civility, whether that's correct or not is, 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 is a different conversation, but that's generally what people associate with. If you put up a Starbucks in somebody else's town, uh, you know, you're seen as a, 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 as a developer, you're, you're seen as bringing business and life and whatever to that specific community. It's the same thing with football. If you can bring someone, especially with football too, it's an incredibly powerful thing because as Chris said, Newcastle haven't won anything in the modern era. So if you come in and you bring Mauricio Pochettino and Kalido Koulibaly and, you know, any number of, of football stars and you have this group that people don't have a fully uh, materialized conception of as who they are. Maybe they've heard some things about, you know, their ethical problems, but then they start to bring success to this thing that they love. Then their conception as to what they are and what they can be 
starts to change in people's minds. And that's the other, mm -hmm. right? Like not to get too sort of metaphysical or psychological about it, but people have a conception of something in their mind as, you know, either good or bad or, or any variety of nuanced feeling. And these groups, they've just been categorized as another, another thing. And for a long time, if, if the only thing filling that void is some sort of moral ethical or ethical quandary, then it can be difficult to sort of um, contrast that with positive business dealings. But football is a football is an incredible thing. If you if you can win somebody a League Cup or an FA Cup and associate good memories with that, then that conception as to who they are starts to become a little murky because some people have an incredibly positive view of that. And some people still only see the ethical quandary with that. But more likely, people are more likely to pay attention to the positive thing. Yeah. And of course, you only have to look at Manchester City to see how that works. You know, my main understanding, my main interaction with Abu Dhabi is through football you know Man City is an incredibly well-run club it's a very successful club and City have now created this sort of blueprint for effective foreign ownership you think about what Chris said earlier about how the Newcastle takeover could impact the local area with City they've done just that they've invested in local infrastructure they've had a tangible positive impact on the local community and that is very effective among everything else at changing perceptions well that's the thing is that I think People kind of, uh, people are with any situation, with any uh, uh, kind of conception of something, are stuck in their immediate moment. And someone might say, you know, the, the things that we're talking about right now with regards to sports washing are obvious. It's obvious why a company that has some sort of moral or ethical quandary might want to invest. But that doesn't, you know, maybe naively they might say, that doesn't mean that they're going to achieve that. I have an idea of what these people do and that's not going to change. But if you look at Manchester City is a fantastic example because through hook and crook, through years of millions and millions and you know, dare I say billions of dollars, they have changed that reputation. They have said like, there is something, uh, you know, morally redeemable about us, or at least conceptually redeemable about us. And that goes, that, that, that is done through monotonous and continuous hard work of just an outpouring of money. And that has largely come through Manchester City. But, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's almost like a positive feedback loop. You start and you have a conception of something. And then over time, given enough effort, given enough success, you know, Manchester City have won a couple of league titles now. They've had some success in Europe. They've had some success in, in the league clubs. And then also the media side of it, they've had a, you know, Amazon's documentary, All or Nothing. I remember when that came out, people were amazed by the, you know, sort of um, the, uh, the, 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 Manchester City's uh, CFO, you know, how well he spoke and the clarity he spoke with with their goals and their management. And they say, that's the kind of person that I want in my club. And maybe from a management perspective, how they dealt with certain transfers and how they dealt with, you know, the acquisition of Pep Guardiola, that is what you want in your club. But from a moral standpoint, I think that's a different conversation. And so that's the difficulty of it is that at some point at the beginning, you might say that there's this problem. But then at the end, if you're watching the all or nothing Manchester City documentary, knowing everything that's wrong with the Abu Dhabi ownership group, and you say, that's someone I want at this club, then you say that they have mission accomplished, right? If, if you're begging for that to come to your club. So that that's the difficulty of it, is that it's difficult to see in the moment how these things work because they're so obvious. But over time, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an effect that is difficult to shake. It's also how easy it is to cast people in those roles as well, I think, right? Like, I mean, 
financially what the Glazers are doing at Manchester United is morally questionable in terms of exploiting, you know, fans, investors, those sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I guess there's something along those lines for me where it's like, it's very easy to say murder bad, that sort of thing. But, you know, if, if we don't know the details, um, you know, or it's more difficult to find out the details, or maybe it's a bit murky where it's like, right, well, they're moving money in a way which doesn't look great. Some people are more willing to turn a blind eye to that, or there's all sorts of weird things like that as well for me. I'm glad we established murder's bad because I was worried <laughs> we weren't we weren't quite clear, but I'm glad we got there. But you're right, yeah. Lawrence, in that Stan Kroenke as well is a good example. He donated one million pounds to Donald Trump's campaign. There's certain moral and ethical questions there. Well, but that's um, the thing with I don't, certain I don't know ownership. what you're referencing, but that's Sorry. okay. Well, that's the thing is that like with certain ownership groups, it's it's how dirty are the hands of the do the hands that the people who are investing in these groups have to be because there's a certain level of privilege that some ownership groups have like not to you know Stan, you mentioned Stan Kroenke he donated to Donald Trump's campaign that have you know Donald Trump's uh, whatever that has done abhorrent things here in the US like there's a level of privilege that some ownership groups have maybe that are american that you might not necessarily readily associate with any kind of war crime or ethical quandary, but are certainly that certainly exist. And so that's the problem is that there is this element of a what we call, I know you have it in the docs, but soft power that is difficult to reconcile mm. because people might might say, well, they don't actually do anything wrong because I can't see it. But I think if you look deep enough and really everybody knows there is something wrong with what, what, what those people are doing as well. It's just that because they're white or because they're established and because they have long invested in these kind of things, they have that privilege of not being immediately associated with some sort of ethical quandary. And that's the, that's the thing that the Abu Dhabi group and the Saudi Arabian group are trying to overcome themselves is that they're not quite there yet. They don't have that privilege of having their hands completely clean, at least in an immediate sense. And so that's what they're trying to do with the sports washing is that they're trying to go from a hard power, which is an immediate, violent, uh, taking over of power to a soft power, which is, you know, they don't have to, they, they can use these systems of power that influence people's thoughts um, to, uh, to you know, do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And that's, totally. that's what makes this different is these are, these are states, these are countries who are using football as a vehicle to, to make a statement about their, their global ambitions and their, their, perception on the world stage. Obviously we mentioned Abu Dhabi, we mentioned Saudi Arabia as well, Qatar as well, Chris, is a really interesting example in terms of their involvement with Paris Saint-Germain and, of course, the World Cup in 2022 as well. It's, it's elevating their position on the global stage through their involvement in, in the world's most loved Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool. Yeah, I, I hate to break line. There's been some news come out actually as we've been 
uh, recording that uh, the WTO has ruled that the BLQ channel that was at the center of this is Saudi Arabian um, and that the Saudi Arabians are behind that channel, which is, has been so controversial throughout this entire process. Well, can you explain um, that the, in a nutshell? Just the... Yeah, so so essentially, as the name suggests, BLQ is um, uh, an attempt to, I guess, get one over and be in sports, which Saudi Arabia and Bein have had a difficult relationship with Saudi Arabia, claiming that Bein have a monopoly in the region, that all this kind of thing. So this underground pirate channel called BLQ just appeared from nowhere um, and was pirating the feeds of Premier League games, of, of a number of different sports, I believe, and Bein were rightly furious about this. So they went to the French courts. I believe the French courts couldn't find any commercial issue but they did acknowledge that Arabsat was using was being used to broadcast BLQ. The thing is, Arabsat is owned by, I think, all but one of, of the Gulf nations. Like, I have a stake in it, so you couldn't really pin it on Saudi Arabia, even if the Arabsat satellites being used were in Saudi Arabia. I'm learning so much. Be, <laughs> be, yeah, Bein be have been adamant from day one that Saudi the Saudi Arabian state has been helping BLQ to do this and Saudi Arabia have rejected that for a minute one and said no we haven't it's not true it's it's slanderous etc etc now the WTO have said that yes they have and that's a major issue so basically they might be pirating their own own their their own uh, product soon <laughs> yes well that's, well that's the... the thing so so BLQ has since ceased to exist it, it came through via a set top box with BLQ branding it, it ceased existing last year um, and it, it was seen as that was kind of Saudi Arabia maybe or whoever was behind it preparing um, sort of saying okay you know we'll we'll do this because there's rights negotiations to come up and I think Saudi Arabia wants to get more involved in that yeah. so it, it did go away and I think perhaps it was seen as oh that might be the end of it the problem you've got is that this fit and proper persons test if you go and read it like the nerd that I am if you commit have you an done act, it? are you fit and proper for the premier league i'm proper i'm not fit yet but i'm getting there. um <laughs> he's got the if, peloton if if you commit an act abroad that would be deemed a crime in the uk you can fail the fit and proper persons test one of oh. the main things also that they consider a huge issue is the pirating of Premier League content. The Premier League, yeah. I'd say the Premier League will have an issue with that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So so that's kind of listed in there in 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 the actual rulings in terms of like this is a major thing that we if you have so you Mm. so let's just say you were twenty four and you owned a pub and you pirated a game and then you became a billionaire and you tried to buy a club. If they found that you had done that, yeah, if if Nico then became a billionaire and tried to buy City Mm. and they found that he had pirated game, that would be a major issue. And yeah, that's right. why this now, as, I, as I'm reading it now, first reaction, unless they've already greenlit this or passed it through. This could kill it. It's hanging by a thread. Yeah, I can't see any way that they've... I think the Premier League have been looking for the perfect out because it says so much about this test that the potential murder of Jamal Khashoggi is not a greater obstacle than pirating games. But this is the smoking gun, arguably, that the Premier League needs to say no. 
You, that I'm is sorry, a, you cannot. That is a, a that is a incredible thing to say, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Also, it's it's no, it is no. I, I draw no issue yeah. there. It's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like that is that's what Depressing. we're talking about here. Is that that's the that's the if there's anything that could you know sort of epitomize what I was saying before, it, it's exactly that. Is that these are this is how conflict is solved nowadays. It's not even though we're talking about someone getting murdered it, or potentially getting murdered. Sorry whoever the higher powers that be don't come for me but um you know that that is the the value of soft power is that this is how these 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 nation states these companies go after one another it's not necessarily killing one another it's going after one another in through the systems of power that influence people because if you can take away football from someone if you can take away football from a group of people if you can take away a system of power that influences people's decisions or their conceptions of a an entity that you you know want to have a, a positive perception of, then that's more powerful than going and, and demanding that they like you or 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 that they obey to you. And that's the uh, you know amazing thing about uh, about soft power, and that's why it's so desirable for a state or an entity or a company to have is that it it is a mode of influence that is more effective than anything else. It, it is true because, like you say, Chris, it, it leaves it hanging by a thread because they have been seen to so clearly damage the integrity of the. The product is worth billions upon billions every every year for the Premier League. That that's the other thing as well is that when it comes to reporting this whole situation, it's very difficult because it's like trying to describe a movie to someone in the next room. Because when you leave the room that it's being shown in, so much could change in the time from when you leave to to when you come back right. that the information you give could be totally irrelevant. And and that's where I think we're at at the minute is that. There is every chance that the Premier League could say, okay, we've got this, but now we can almost use that as an opportunity to say Saudi Arabia, right, I don't even want to see anything remotely like this ever again. Like, this is your warning. It's it's firmly now in the Premier League's hands. They've got the recourse if they want to say, WTO has found you guilty of piracy or being involved in piracy. So no, we can't welcome you in. But that comes with the very important consideration that this team will bring a lot of money in, will potentially bid up against being for rights at the next opportunity. So if, if you'll allow me to shed any sense of human decency for a second, <laughs> I guarantee, or I would not be surprised if there are meetings in that headquarters of the Premier League now saying, do we really want to annoy Saudi Arabia when they could bid yeah. double, triple, what Qatar is in terms of because that's the other thing you have to this is why it's such a, a massive chess game you know that Saudi Arabia are trying to diversify at the minute they're trying to spread themselves and and release the the onus on them needing the oil money as, as a source of income so what's a good way to do that it's to get into sports it's to have a more public image that's largely why they've been doing this is to and and Mohammed bin Salman has been if you read things on him trying to cover this image as someone who's a you know a reformer and someone who's a little bit more modern in his approach, you know, and the way I read it, someone said essentially the killing of Jamal Khashoggi was a very bad misstep that wasn't supposed to get out. Hmm. Like that was that that was almost the mask slipping with him. And <laughs> yeah, so you weren't supposed to see us killing. That was, yeah, that, <laughs> oh as god, you got... as that sounds. And and that's why I think this is a this really as I as I think about this now 
This is a massive moment for the Premier League because essentially they have the chance to shut the stable door. Because if they don't do it now, and even if they say, okay, we're going to reform the test because we just feel like now is the time, to what end, to what point you've you've already allowed? A well, I think I, I think there's an important club. I think there's an important part of that, Chris, as well. Like you're saying, like they have the opportunity to do. I think what most of us would associate with is the right thing in this situation, but is entirely contingent upon the reason that they're doing that thing. Because if they say, listen, if we don't want to get into the bed the, bed with these people, so we're going to use this technicality, the, the 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 situation that you've mentioned, to not do that. If they if that's the reason, that's great. But then what happens to a club like Manchester City? I would imagine that they then, if that if their reasoning for doing that is wanting to clear themselves of the ethical issue that exists with getting into bed with someone like that, then they, I imagine they would retroactively go forward and do something about the Manchester City problem, which is a problem. But if the motivation is getting more money or not pissing off Saudi Arabia then it would just continue in a, in a different manner. You know, they might come back in a year and, and, and do something else. So that's the the, diffi- the difficult part of it is that th- the motivation has to lie in rectifying the issue from, I don't know, a moral standpoint. And, th- and that's the difficulty of it. The other thing as well is when this was in the early stages and people were saying, well, you know, obviously pointing to Jamal Khashoggi and, and that kind of, aspect of things and how has this even got so far when that's a situation that exists one of the points that I saw raised was as the test stands if they were to just reject them outright that could open up legal challenges on the grounds of discrimination and that's why I think this WTO potentially changes things now again this is this is my interpretation I feel obligated to state that because I think there are a lot of people out there speaking opinion as if it were fact that's why i think this is so important because now as i said before it gives the premier league so much more influence in the decision that it makes and i think in a in a lot of ways you will you will almost because there's been a lot of pieces i've read about the changing in the hierarchy of the premier league um there was a senior figure who was only in the job very briefly and then left was kind of under a cloud um, this will tell you what direction this league is going in, I think, moving forward. <laughs> it, it is very much. I mean, what the strange thing about it is, obviously, Chris, earlier, you said, um, you know, we shouldn't put it at the, the doorstep of the fans. And I'm, mm-hmm. I think you're right in that. It's also crazy that then a global organization can go, yeah, they broke the law. So are you still thinking of taking <laughs> these guys in? Or It's like, we, yeah. no one wants well, to deal reckon. with it. So Yeah, everyone's just sort of going, well, if we don't deal with it, maybe they'll deal with it. And they're sort of, you know, it's the same with what's happened with China. Like why, why we've sort of had this problem with coronavirus is because people, um, people won't challenge a big government that we blatantly know is either lied or is doing something wrong at some point because they want to financially benefit from it or these people are already too entangled in the rest of the process. And that's what's, I guess, in the interest of fairness, you have to let people do that. But I guess the, the real question for me is, who isn't, and I know this is a bad question to ask, but who isn't doing something wrong right now? 
That, um, and how that doesn't un, how justify no one doing something wrong. Though. That's, that's the that, problem. Yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's the point. Is the real question is who isn't doing something wrong? But like, it doesn't justify you, you, the answer. Like you know what happened with LeBron last year. Like he is out, outspoken about issues of, of of police brutality in the United States, of of racism, of all these things, and that's fantastic. I think you know I, this is a conversation I'm, I'd be happy to have with Lawrence just because I know he's interested. But like LeBron for me is the ultimate because of who he is as a person, and he's not right. an asshole like Michael Jordan, <laughs> quite right. frankly. Um, as far as we know. As far as we know. Um, yeah. And he's taken more of a, a political stance than Michael Jordan ever did. And that's evident mm-hmm. in, in the Last Dance documentary. But yeah. when it came to the human rights issues in China, he didn't say anything because of the of the NBA's, you know, being in bed very heavily, the potential market that exists in China. Um, and the few people that did or, or that misstep for a moment, you know, um, the, the Rockets owner, I forget his name, Daryl Morey. Um, you know, Rockets faced, GM. Yeah. Rockets GM, sorry. Um, faced serious issues because of how big that potential market is. And it's exactly what you're saying there. Like, there is money to be made. There, and in the case of the NBA in China, like millions upon probably billions of, 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 of dollars to be made. So that's that's the difficulty is that when everything is and maybe, you know, to get to, to get back to the the underlying point. Um, that I always have in my mind, it, the difficulty with everything being influenced by by money and, and, you know, the nature of modern capitalism is that if morals are so easily uh, interchangeable and, and fungible by the, the presence of something that, to be fair, influences all of our lives, influences our comfort, influences our ability to speak. The fact that we're even on this podcast is because we all have some access to money um, and, and we can say the things that we want to say. It is difficult, and and so that's that's the modern problem is that when everything is 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 fungible, nothing is concrete. Three goldsmith students on one podcast. Yeah. <laughs> as, as I, I read the it. report as well, it, Sorry, it's Chris. from it's um it's Sean Ingle that's um that's written the report, and I think what's important to note in it is that the Premier League received these findings this month so they've received them early they won't be published until mid-june but the premier league has already sort of had them in hand again the it's premier that league it's, went, oh, c- coronavirus we'll look at these after should we just put this yeah. one through and then we'll the, mm, the, yeah. this is the interesting thing as well is that a lot of the people that have i would say connections to buying and selling sides have not reported any issue and yet it would seem the premier league have had this sitting on their desk for some time now we'll so get if you to this if you're wanting to try and assess it from every angle, it's it's not unfair to say that potentially they've looked at this and it's not stopped it yet. And so, is it moving towards uh, them taking over? Potentially, yeah, it probably is. Or, or at least I should say, there is. You shouldn't rule it out yet. I'm so desperate not to sound dafty, but yeah. I think it's, it's very much up in the air. That's the best way to put I it. I can't wait for the take of the independent staff. That's all I'm here for. Yeah. The, I'm reading here as well, the Premier League made submissions against Saudi Arabia as part of the legal process, with which the WTO came to this conclusion in that disagreement. It's all very murky and all very complicated. Yeah, and, and it's so much complicated as well because there are so many vested interests in this deal, either going through or not going through, that it's... I've I said earlier this month, reporting on a transfer is difficult, 
but at least you see them going for the medical. At least you have sort of yeah, waypoints where you can chart this thing. A, a takeover is, is no, it's, it's a different beast entirely. So, so when you agree with Richard Keys, I look around and go, are they the bad guys? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually on the wrong side. I'm but a, it yeah. is, it's like you say, we're talking about this, this, this ruling, which is, as we're saying, could potentially leave the, the Newcastle deal in doubt. But we were talking about Qatar earlier there, the, the chairman of PSG, uh, which is owned by a, a Qatari group, is Nasser Al-Khalifi. He's a member of UEFA's executive committee. He's also the chairman of BN Sports, which obviously pays UEFA for the Champions League television rights. There's all these these overlapping layers and all these overlapping issues. I mean, you, we touched on it just there and, and obviously earlier as well. It's almost like Lawrence football is so increasingly murky and morally compromised. This feels like a point of, is this the line? Surely if this doesn't fail, if they pass the fit and proper tests now, despite this technicality the Premier League have got in front of them. It feels like football's already too far gone. Yeah, I think when you reference football, you're talking about like the modern game. You're not talking mm. about the actual concept of football. I think that's what's what, that's what's good about it. I also think they've done very well in um, the, and the branding has been so good in uh, you know saying the Premier League is and you know it's called the Premier League the best form of football. You know, FIFA, the World Cup, is the best form of football. I think. Part of the reason that these people uh, have to almost accept Saudi Arabia is because if they don't, um, if they don't let them in, there might be an alternative to the football world that we see now, created by a by a uh, you know a country like Saudi Arabia, and they might. Because I think you know if you get enough disenfranchised people from the current set of football, you know, be that. America, be that whoever, who's not getting a World Cup, who's not pleased politically, then you will find people who want to break away. And I think that ultimately, that's part of it. And, and the same sort of happens with what happens with Man City's owners, where they go, okay, so we don't get the benefits of the system, then we'll just blow the system up. We'll tell everyone who else is doping financially or who else is doing this. Or do and that's the problem. It's, it's the threat from everyone involved we've got something on you, but you've got something on us. So well, to, there's almost like a mutually assured destruction element here. Maybe to, 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 to bring it back to the, the, um, the point that you were making earlier with regards to this idea of football, like the Premier League being the best idea of football and the World Cup being the yeah. best iteration of, it, of international football is like the, the, the point that I brought up on our return podcast, which was, is the way in which we consume football now, this... Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, PSG type type system, type iteration of the game where there are hub points for the best players to basically go between. Is that inextricably tied to the way that the modern game works in the sense that there's so much money and so much money available to specific points in football, to specific clubs that were able to get the best, the best players all in one team? Like, can this version of football and how good it is right now and i think we've all enjoyed the product as is um can it exist in a non-hyper capitalist way like does does football become more shit without without hyper money in the game i, I mean that's uh, it's it's what you consider to be what you want from football right whether you want to relate to the people uh whether you want to have an authentic relationship well yeah in, in terms of know. like what you consider to be good but i mean like can this can like can you have 
can you have Manchester City? Like you look at any version, not not Manchester City as a football team, but like I, the way I look at it is like in the 80s and 90s, you had a more egalitarian distribution of talent yeah. across the leagues because players had different motivations to stay. And like we were talking about before, the motivation is now universal. It's now monetary. And you don't nec- you can't necessarily blame players for that. You know, they have limited careers. It's extremely uncertain, um, you know, how they're going to make their money in certain regards. But like, can you convince 25 players, 25 of the best players in the world, 25 of the best talents to congregate in Paris, in Manchester, in, in, in wherever, if there's not the motivation of money, does it become more evenly distributed with regards to talent because there are more reasons for a player to stay? You know, uh, what's his name? Dries Mertens, when when he had big offers after that first breakout year in, in Napoli under Sarri, he had tons of offers, but his I believe his wife and kids like wanted to stay in Naples. So he said, no, I'm going to stay here and I enjoy playing under Sarri. So like, does football become better in the sense that it's more competitive when you don't have an extreme amount, uh, an obscene amount of money in the game, or 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 does it stay the same? It almost heightens everything. So look at the way that like Leicester was responded to. That was seen as like this is insane. Like I I would love to know. Well, because like Leicester is sorry to, to keep going, but like Leicester is the the thing that we look to to fool ourselves, at least in my mind, to fool ourselves into thinking that the system is fair. Right. Like we look at a Leicester and, and say like the exception rather than the rule. Exactly. Yeah. It's not something that will, <laughs> dare I say, ever happen again because the same five teams win the same five fucking trophies every year. And it's just a slight variation on who will win that. And <laughs> we look at it at a phenomenon, at an anomaly like Leicester to say, no, actually, the system is you can any team can win it, actually, when that's just not true based on the material conditions that that define the game. And so that that's the difference. I mean, they, they quite, yeah, they quite literally can win it, but that's yeah. the same as saying that anyone could be a million. It's like saying it's, it, I it, it could really play isn't... for Liverpool. I, my Achilles tendon tore like two you years ago could. and I can barely run now. Like, yes, that's the only thing possible. to be clear. Yeah, that's that's the, the only, thing. yeah, no, that's the only <laughs> that's thing. The it's only my thing. touch fucking phenomenal. But I, I think, I think, but to get back to maybe your question, what you're asking is football's becoming increasingly, I just think we're increasingly aware of how murky football is now, rather than it, it becoming, I mean, you know, the more, the more people you get in, the murkier it can become. But what I mean is we now, obviously the freedom of information, the movement of information in the world and how much people know, how much more people know, you know, it's not just a newspaper that you're reading or 20 minutes on the news or a quick bulletin. This is something you can do much more research on and you can reach people who will be able to give you that direct information much easier than you could, you know, back in the 60s or 70s. I I think that awareness might be ruining football, but then it's partly asking, well, how aware do you want to be? I think that the awareness is a good point. I think it's undeniably changed uh, the environment and the context in which football operates. And as Nico notes, we're in such a hyper-capitalist society now where everything is geared ever more towards the the creation of money and the creation of wealth that Mm. it creates these moral and these ethical issues because they're they're inextricably tied to it. With the money Mm. and the pursuit of money comes the, the sacrificing of morals it becomes the the sacrificing of ethics but 
I, I guess I guess I see what you're saying, but I think we are talking about money as if if money didn't exist, there wouldn't be something else that people are exploiting. Oh no, in some I'm way. sure. I don't, you, I don't you think. Can't. I think that's part of it. Is you know, obviously, on a typically English podcast, we are <laughs> trying to make moral and ethical uh, utopia almost, no. which, which might be. Hi, welcome to the front three, like, where four white guys tell you how to. <laughs> yeah. We're going to say it should life. be done, but I think like Wait, the, I swear, the, one the, of us is like a minority of <laughs> yeah. half, right? halfway like, there. Halfway Morales there. is, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And Kristen is, uh, he's in a minority household in Brooklyn. But th- this is the Look this is the point. Right? He's northern. This is the the point right? we live in an imperfect society. We live in a society where we're commenting on it, we're criticizing on the structures, and, and we're trying to make sense of it all. But it's like Sorry, this. Where's Greensleeves playing? <laughs> That's actually an ice cream van outside my 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 window. We are living in utopia. <laughs> it's great, <laughs> incredible. This but, is the best of all possible. Yeah. The, yeah. the the whole point of having these discussions, though, I mean, now more than ever, we're all in this this process of drawing the boundaries of what's acceptable in culture, what's acceptable in society. And in football, this feels like this is a line because the line is racial. <laughs> yeah, well, the, well, the issues are a line because they're so stuck. You know, we're talking about murder, we're talking about serious human rights abuses, and that's something. Well, it is so stark. You know, we don't want any part of that in football, but but yet we're having a debate. Yet it's it's. But, but it's, that's part of the point is they almost become sort of um, in in many ways in like a lot of podcasts that I'm obviously on, they almost almost become passive thought exercises where, where you come to what can be a very satisfying but like dave i guess got it got frustrated and went to the premier league to get a job was sort of saying you know the, these are all these are all great solutions mm. dave's now a ceo the, these are all great solutions but actually practically we can only really act on a lot of these things but that's part of the disenfranchisement of a lot of the people who should have a say in football and i think why you know, so many people are outraged in Germany by RB Leipzig. I think there's been a lot of normalization <laughs> of this kind of stuff in, um, in in football and also just in the wider world in general. And that's part of the problem is that we're all, it's almost like, right, are we letting these people in or not? And it's a bit like, well, hold on a minute. Should we even, why isn't the conversation, should we even be letting people own a football club in this way? <laughs> you know, there's, that's- we're Too far the, gone. Over, Football's it's too far gone. The, the, that's part of it. And then people just go, well, football's too far gone, so we might as well just continue down this road. But that's sort of the, that's that Overton window idea where if you start such an extreme idea and you... Um, well, as soon as you conceive many, of the extreme idea, then it starts to become normalized. As soon as you have a you concept begin to of something, move towards it. then it yeah. become it, it, it appears on the on the elemental chart. It, it appears on the scale. And then it just, slow. it's like Donald Trump winning the election. I remember I thought, you know, not to get political, but like I, at the beginning, I couldn't sleep because I, I was like, am I going to die? Who's going to die? Like, you know, what's going to happen? And then, you know, four years on, I'm like, I guess he's getting reelected, huh? Like, what? but this is, uh, this is why I think, you know, I know you mentioned it earlier, Lawrence, but I think it isn't just awareness, you know, someone like myself is, is getting older and is becoming more cognizant of these issues and more oh, great, interested. Thank you. you but I think great, things are you look things are getting more extreme, not just in football, but in the world in general. And things are more tribal, things are more poisonous, and everyone's either on one side or the other. And this is a, a case in point in a way. I mean, to, to bring it back to Newcastle, Chris, I mean, how will you feel if this deal still goes through now? It's, it's so odd because you. I think one thing, and I haven't even finished saying it and I almost think the exact opposite I don't know if you've ever felt like that about something but like 
to have gone through this much of it and sat and watched it and watched it and tumbled along and tried to reason with it and then, you know, what is the future of me supporting the team at all look like if this goes ahead? For it then not to happen, I guess ultimately I think, well, what a lot of wasted energy that was. <laughs> like, you know, it could, it could have been doing so much more. Um, could have been on Duolingo or anything. But I, I just, if it doesn't go through then I will take some comfort from the fact that, you know what, I don't have to wrestle with, can I actually support this team? If it does go through, then honestly, I'll probably toast the fact that Mike Ashley's gone and that, you know, that's not someone that has to be associated with the with the football club anymore. And the obvious caveat is the person replacing him or the majority owner replacing him is considerably worse. And, and that is another rabbit hole to fall down about the sliding scale of, bad peopleness, you know, where where, yeah. <laughs> where is acceptable. Yeah. Number one, it's, number two, maybe. Do you think there is a I, you talked about almost wasted energy there, Chris, but do you think there there will have been a, a a purpose, there will have been some meaning derived from having these conversations where it's brought it to the wider conscience and the wider awareness of football fans, the the impact of, of sport washing and and the ramifications of that that, that we've been talking about in this podcast. I'd love to think so, but something I think I've realised during this process is, you know, working in the field that we do, we can get very naive to what the situation is for people outside of it. And, you know, when we sign a player from, from some place abroad, even continental Europe, think how often friends of ours or whatever who aren't as, as plugged in say, oh, I've never heard of that guy what what's he like it's that same sort of mindset in terms of why should a person in newcastle who maybe has a family to take care of or what have you why should they know or have a great interest in the political situation in the middle east and and that's the pro that that for me is is one of the problems now of, of being a football supporter is that it used to be a lot simpler now you have to look at it from who is this person? You have to go away and you have to read. And then you have conflicting sources in terms of people will say, well, actually, Bin Salman is doing this. And then you read someone else and then you've got Amnesty International telling you what. And it's it's such an overload of information that you almost lose complete sight of the game itself. And then I, I start to start to understand a little bit why football fans just take it on a very superficial level. Because as soon as you lift that rug, what you see under there, you can't forget. And you either have to engage in it or you can't engage in it at all. And it, it, it might sound very binary in that regard. But I think that's the only way that you can kind of exist with it. You can't mm, go half in and say, well, yeah. actually, you know what? He didn't kill anyone, but he does run sweatshops. <laughs> and uh, and that's the problem. It's like, it's, <laughs> it's the idea of something my dad always used to say to me. Is, you can't be half pregnant. You know, you either are or you aren't. And that's kind of what this situation is. <laughs> Say no more. Um, can I, can I just, just before we, I mean, just before we go, um, you know, uh, I, there is the, there is also the fun side of this. I think a lot of people, obviously <laughs> it's fun to all the downside. And part of the reason that 
you know, Newcastle fans are quite excited is because there could be an incredible era for them to come. Pochettino. Yeah. Yeah, what would you... What do you think, Chris? Because as we mentioned at the top, Pochettino has been has been linked as the manager. There's potentially a promising the makings of a promising squad there. So Maximin, Dubravka, Fabian Shah. Imagine if he has more success with that Newcastle team than oh, he yeah. ever did with Spurs. What what would that do to you, Adam? As we said the other week, it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. I'll always, <laughs> I'll always have that journey. It's about. No it's. A, I think you'll find it's about losing the Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it was. Was that a year That's ago today? Journey. It was a year ago today. So thanks for reminding me. But, Is it really? Um, I think so. It was the end of May, wasn't In it? Your it's face. almost the year. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm just going to come to you now, Chris. I don't want to talk to the other guys, but. Um, I mean, Lawrence says it there. Is it potentially incredibly exciting on the pitch? Just to to, to compartmentalise for a second. Pochettino's <laughs> in charge of Newcastle. They've got Harry Kane in. They're winning the Champions League. That's that's an exciting prospect. Sure. Yeah, sure, and, I mean, and surely you, you ask Kristen. Yeah, Kristen, who would you want first? When I when I've Empire tried to think name. about this, not Harry I'll, Kane. I'll, let me tell you that. I'll, yeah, um, <laughs> I I love the idea of Rafa Benitez coming back and getting the club that he always wanted. Um, and and you know what that that's the other thing that I I forgot to mention is why this resonates for so many fans is because regardless of the political stuff for a second for them this takeover would represent the club becoming a football club again in terms of sporting integrity in terms of okay every decision we make is to make this team better so we're going to build a better training ground we're going to invest in the academy Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff are not going to succeed in spite of the academy they're going to succeed because of it and so there's there's that idea of kind of everything you look at like like man city is an example like the fact that they've got clubs across the globe and and it's like this really efficient machine that exists that's sort of what they want i guess it's a little bit like a football manager fever dream you know i can't even imagine how many supporters have gone on and that right i can fix this like either we're waiting until he's bought out even if i go on holiday for three years or I make this club work in spite of his presence. It's it's that idea of getting the club back. And I don't know if I'm in a position to lecture people on how true that really is, you know? It's also how long you have it back for, whether it's... I mean, Man City fans also have that same issue of, do you still have the same identity as you did before? Like, is your identity even, you know, parallel? Like, you know, going from what Man City went from to what they went to can you even maintain the same identity? Um, and, you know, the, the same for so many fans out there. I think people just worry about, they always think, well, the money will definitely help. But money's just going to buy you, like, you know, you'll have one more Claire's accessories. More money, more problems. Yeah. You'll have, a, you know, you'll have another Nando's. It'll be bigger. You'll have more generic, um, you know, shops and stuff. I don't know... I don't know how how often do the locals benefit because I was also checking out like a few of the uh, I'll reach I'll I'll finish on this point sorry there were a few companies who run basically trips to the north from the Gulf basically um, oh, wow. and they paint the north as if it is like as if it's Pride and Prejudice. Um, <laughs> And I mean, in many ways it is, but in many ways it also so blatantly isn't. Well, prejudice uh, in a very specific way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we inhabit pride, but also prejudice, uh, but yeah. in a very different way. Yeah, 
Um, and they, I, I guess for me, I'm also interested, and I think a lot of the time, obviously, we're talking, you know, the, the culture clash of these two countries, you know, the intense wealth in one area, and then also what's going on in Newcastle, like Kristen was mm. saying earlier. But not only that, but like, I feel sorry for the people who are in Saudi Arabia. I feel sorry for some of the people who are in, you know, put X in there, I mean, where, where Abramovich is, is from. <laughs> that far because off land. These are also people who have also lost their culture because, you know, in those places, shitty stuff has happened. Um, and, you know, those people are basically, just, money is basically won out in those places. So I sort of feel sorry for them as well. I'd love to see, I'd love to see, basically, I want to see Newcastle fans go to Saudi Arabia and explore. Wow. I don't know if that would turn out extremely well, but... <laughs> there you go. What a note to end on. Thanks so much for listening. Please leave your reviews on iTunes. Leave your ratings there. We'll be back next week to talk Project Restart and all the latest goings on in the world of football and potentially some more news on the Newcastle takeover. Um, but until then, lovely to speak to you all. Lovely to speak to you out there as well. We'll see you next week. 